And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you so much for being with us here on the program. We're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times. Oh, don't forget about the 9 a.m. Wednesday program. That's our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And we hope that you will join us for all of those uh, programs. You can hear them streamed at those times at richarddugan.com. We also have podcasts at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations through across the uh, Internet. Uh, hope that you will just Google a Richard Dugan and tell me your story, and boom, there we are. We're on YouTube as well, where you can watch these interviews. That's right. And you can see myself and my guest. <clears throat> and I don't know if that's grammatically correct, or it's I and my guest. Be that as it may, I'll have to see if my uh, English teacher, Mrs. Haas, from grade school is still around, and I can give her a call and say, which is correct. I uh, hope that you will also participate in the decade of perfect vision where we ask you to go within and spend some time in that quiet, peaceful place listening to that still, small voice. And if you like what we are doing and it resonates with you and you would like to uh, be a part of what we're doing, we could certainly use your support financially. We would greatly appreciate that. If you can, we have a PayPal account and it's for it's there for your security as well as ours. So uh, any amount is welcome. We thank you, thank you, thank you to those who have supported us in the past. And thank you, thank you, thank you to those who will support us in the future. So uh, we really do appreciate it. And it's really great to be here today with uh, our uh, special guest. And quite honestly, all of our guests are special. And, and I, I, I sincerely mean that because each one of them is taking time out of their very busy schedules to schedule us in to talk about the work that they are doing. Like uh, Safira Malak, uh, Malka, I beg your pardon, Sifra, uh, and I'm still messing it up. Sifra, thank you so much for joining us on the program. My pleasure, Richard. Uh, first uh, of all, and yes, you said it right, Sifra. It's not the most common name, so you don't worry about that. Uh, and I want to ask, if I may, where does the name come from? It's it's certainly not typical here in the U.S. Uh, and and I, of course, I am a stickler for pronouncing people's names right. My God, it's their name. You should get it right. So where does where does Sifra uh, uh, come from? Yeah, Sifra Sh is a Shifra. biblical name. Sifra uh, was the mother of Moses. So that is where it comes from. And um, and the last name is Mapas. I think you pronounced that correctly. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And I'm not an I'm not an English teacher, but back to your question about the <laughs> me or the I, I uh, I think if I caught it, it's a me. Uh, I, and so uh, me and my guest. Me. What's that? Me and my guest, as opposed to I and my guest. Well, actually, okay, is that what that was the phrase? Something it was my like guest that. And I, my guest and I. Ah, so I had it. I should reverse it. Okay. If that's the beginning of the sentence, it'd be my guest and I. There you go. And if it was the end of the sentence, it's my it's my guest and me. Ah, okay. Either which way you are fine. <clears throat> well, I'll tell you, my uh, second oldest sister, Cecilia, when I sent my book to her to be proofread, she came back with all kinds of corrections, specifically where I had a, l a list of things throughout the book, and she <clears throat> she removed all of my commas and put in the word and, and I'm going, Wait, that's not right, that's why you put the commas in. Turns out, her way and my way are both perfectly acceptable. 
So uh, and I so I didn't ever call her and say, "What did you do to my book?" No, no, no. She was right on. She was spot on. So I appreciated the work that she did. <laughs> yes, commas have very different rules these days. Basically, anything works. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I try to I try to stay away from acronyms. You know, uh, it's it drives me nuts sometimes. It's like. I'm sorry, I don't understand what that acronym means. LOL, I get, you know. Um, <clears throat> LGBTQ, I get, uh, and so forth. FBI, I get, NSA. But, <laughs> but it's some of the other more obscure ones that a lot of the younger folks, and it's weird for me to even say that. I mean, my God, I'm only 61. I'm not that old, am I? <laughs> You're only oh, you're a little bit more than halfway to 120, so you are young. I'm looking to go to 120. That's where I'm headed. I got to outlive my great grandmother, who not to, she didn't live to be 120, she lived to be 100, and uh, to be 100. And uh, I remember saying when she was 95 that I'm going to outlive her, but she's making it really hard. And it wasn't because I wanted her to die; it was just she kept living and living and living. And it's like, okay, I got my work cut out for me. Hey, you have been doing some serious work too. You have a book out called Dare to Matter, and that is so important. This is not about science or space, folks. We're not talking about matter as in uh, the material world. We're talking about daring to belong, to be a part of, uh, daring to exist and let your existence be known, to do the work that you do, to live out your life's purpose, because you are here. Is that uh, maybe sort of a, a synopsis of... Yes, yeah, it's very much along the lines. Uh, so the subtitle, it's Dare to Matter, Lessons in Living a Large Life. And it has everything to do with that, with how we show up into our lives, um, the contribution we would like to make, how we matter to ourselves and how we want to matter to others. Uh, and how we opt into that day in and day out through the choices that we make. Mm. That's no, huge, just, be because choices is what it's all about. It's what we talk about, giving people choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come to come true. How did it's, only, it's the only reason we're here is to make the choices. If we could not make choices, what would be the worth of our lives? Well, let me ask you, uh, how did you... How did you begin down this particular road? I actually started out writing a book um, highlighting the interviews I had done as a radio producer and host on a live radio program that aired on Sunday nights in the uh, mid-Atlantic states. And there were interviews I had done with so many different people about me, about it was focused on social and educational initiatives. And I began to feel the desire and even the responsibility to share these with other people. Mm -hmm. uh, they were informational, they were inspiring, they were um, entertaining. And when I sat down to write the book, through a confluence of factors, something very different emerged. And all of a sudden I had this deeply personal story and a memoir on my hands. And that was the story that really wanted to come through me. And the people um, who were around me said, just write. Evidently, there's something there right to the heart of the pain. And if you do that, you'll have the story that you really should be writing. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. Because the real story was the mattering. What I realized as I started to write this entire story just poured forth um, in a matter of really weeks, months. It took some time to reshape it and to expand it. 
but the real core was the not mattering that I had was able to trace as a theme in my life and as a pushback that I was constantly engaged in, knowingly and sometimes not knowingly. Mm. And this is this was the origin of the work, uh, the word matter. And like you said, it's not a scientific term here. It's not about taking up physical space, <laughs> but it is about having our space and standing in it and having our voice and being able to um, allow ourselves for it to be heard because at our core, we are our voice. Mm. I sometimes wonder, and uh, this is kind of where we're going to go for the moment, um, how it is that an individual gets to a point because, uh, to, to the point uh, of, of not feeling as though they matter in the sense that uh, let's say as they're growing up, they have parents. I mean, I had uh, my parents. I mean, they fed me, they clothed me, they housed me. They uh, did their best to make sure that I, you know, um, uh, you know, had the education that would help me along as I got older and so forth. They they gave me all what I like to call all the good things in life, so to speak, um, that were non-material, to be honest with you, uh, that have placed me where I am today. And yet, and I still remember this conversation with my younger brother to this day. I was 33 at the time, half a lifetime ago for me. And we were walking through the desert uh, away from a family reunion uh, at an Elks Lodge between F Florence and Coolidge, Arizona. And we were just talking. I was sharing with him with my about my philosophies and so forth and so on. And when I shared him this one particular point, he says, well, it's about time you got it. And, and I said, uh, I says, well, actually, Mike, it's not when you get it, but that you get it. And what, I, what we both shared, which was really funny to the both of us was, until we had shared this, that we both thought we were the black sheep of the family. It was very strange. Um, because I have four sisters, and he and I, we kind of, we didn't actually leave the nest, but we didn't spend a lot of time there. Um, I was I was a paper boy. Uh, plus, I had my friends. He had his friends, and so forth. So we weren't home a lot. And I think that our separation from the family in that regard uh, made us feel that way. And yet today, I definitely can tell you, uh, uh, Shifra, that my life matters. That my life has meaning. I cannot in good conscience or or intellectual honesty say that this world was an accident as some people believe and that when it's over it's lights out it doesn't make any sense because of what i have experienced in my life thus far in the 61 years so let me ask you about that there i am in what you could call the norman rockwell kind of family you know it's great and and i i I got to tell you, uh, some people say, well, you must be blocking something. No, there's no blocking anything. All right. It wasn't, you know what, it wasn't perfect, but it sure as heck didn't have a lot of the dysfunction. I mean, we sit down for holiday dinners throughout our lives. We didn't have food fights and arguments over, 
and that kind of stuff, we dealt with the conflict. So talk to me a little well, bit about uh, how yeah, that happens. Richard, you are um, describing a background that I um, can understand theoretically. <laughs> ah, oh, no. But, <laughs> oh, no. But I didn't ex- but not personally. I didn't. That was not my experience. And of course, we're all the sum total of our experiences and our circumstances and our position in our family and the people who make up our family, um, the nurture, the nature, all of that. So there are a lot of points that we could unpack here. Let's go for a few. By nature, maybe you're a more resilient, um, robust personality. I would classify myself as more sensitive, um, uh, obviously resilient, but um, sensitive. I'm not the kind of person who things just rolled off my back, Um, especially if there were mean-spirited comments directed to me and to who I was as a person. Um, so let's talk about that for a minute. I was, a, I have a complicated nature. I have a contrarian nature, um, uh, always in the know. And I don't mean K-N-O-W, I mean N-O. Um, and I had an eating disorder and I wasn't fast in my studies, though I worked very hard and ultimately was able to succeed, but it didn't come easily. Um, I had a different nature than my parents who were raising me, who were super talented and um, supremely generous people, but it was a different style. So that's some of the the nature and nurture. Um, I found myself on the end of a lot of messages that were told me that I really didn't matter. And um, we get that, we can get that in our family. We can get that from our culture. In our culture, unless it's all very linear, if you don't plot out, um, you know, in certain ways, then you are left to believe that you don't matter. And so um, it's rather easy for people to feel that. And I I think with COVID, 33 million people at the beginning were told to stay home, that they didn't matter, they didn't have to show up, they weren't essential. Uh, How is it possible to get out of bed if you don't matter? What life are you going to face every day when you get out of your bed? So what I found is, and just one other point, and that is that I was um, often compared to an aunt of mine who I surmised her life did not matter for whatever the reasons. And then I figured if her life doesn't matter and I'm like her, that my life wouldn't matter either. Mm. What I learned in writing the book and really working through the material is that we really can't uh, buy or borrow our mattering, we do create it. And we also create it in bits and pieces. We don't create it all at one time in one big show. Um, It's not a game. It's a sport, though, and we have to show up into it. Um, And little by little, we create the mattering that we we want to contribute. Hmm. Um, 
I choose the pieces where I want to matter or where I feel that I should matter or that I can matter Mm -hmm. or that I must matter. Right. Um, It can be in very, very small ways, like bringing chicken soup to a friend who has nobody else to give her soup when she's sick. Mm. And, you know, that is the smallest way of mattering to one person. Um, So that's a little bit of an answer. A lot of different threads. Shifra Malka is my guest here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for being with us as we talk about her book and the work that she's doing, Dare to Matter. And we, we, we do matter. I don't care who you are. I don't care what category you want to throw up there. Every human being matters. Now, you may not think that every human being matters because of some of the things that they do and that they have done in their lives. And we could name a few people right now, uh, Shifra, but the fact of the matter is, to borrow that term, I'll try not to use that too many times, everybody here is playing a particular role that is hopefully teaching themselves, but more importantly, hopefully teaching us lessons that uh, we need to and or want to learn in this lifetime. And I went through, uh, as I've shared before on this program, I went through a series of phases in 2017, uh, where uh, in uh, February, March, I guess, where I I had to acknowledge this particular individual. And I'll tell you the, what, the word stuck in my brain and I didn't want to utter it out loud, but I knew I had to. Thank you, teacher, for teaching me how not to behave. I then moved into, I forgive you, but more importantly, I forgive me for allowing myself to be drawn into the quagmire. The third phase was, what is it that you're so afraid of that makes you be the way that you are? I'm not asking you to change. I just need to understand a little more so that I can move on. Let you go. Let this whole thing go and move on with my life and my life's purpose and not waste my energies on you and what you're doing. And then the fourth phase was, and this has to come from the heart, as one of my guests said. This is what something one of my guests told me. They said, that, well, you've got to have one, one final phase. You have to be able to genuinely say, I love you. You have every right to be here. It doesn't matter whether I like or dislike what you're doing or what you're saying or who you are or anything. The fact of the matter is you're a human being. And I'm wondering... How much of that when I would say, uh, let's say, I mean, because I'm just meeting you now for, well, the second time, granted, um, that uh, it doesn't matter whether I like you or not. The fact of the matter is it's really up to you as to whether or not you like you, right? Our mattering does not come from other people. It does not come from our possessions, our positions, um, our pomp, our privileges. It doesn't. You're right. But we have to unlearn that because we are born, particularly in the American Western culture, we are born into a set of thinking and a set of attitudes that tell us very clearly, very early on, 
um, who does matter and who doesn't, right? The currency is how much money you have, uh, your appearance, your job, all of those things that are external to who we really are. Mm-hmm. Um, unless we push back against that, um, we're not going to have our true sense of mattering. I don't know that we ever get to know why we're really here. We can taste, we can sample. We're here because we're doing this and we're helping, right? But because we're here by God's invitation, mm-hmm. um, we don't really know. We can only look at the signs in front of us, where we're being led, the people who are being who are coming into our life, um, the problems, the challenges. You know, the challenges are not in the way they lead it. So. That's how we get to know, um, how we get to uh, navigate um, our path. Uh, I often wonder if I wasn't pushing back against all this, who would I be? And that is a question I will never know the answer to. What I do know is that the pushback is building me into who I am. Mm. So it must have been designed that way. Every not mattering thought, every thought of jealousy, every thought of anger or lack is building something that otherwise maybe I would not have been able to access. Uh, You know, we each have a light to bring to this world. And if we don't bring it, there is darkness in that space. And until each of us can shine our light, wherever Mm -hmm. it is, whatever it looks like, until we shine it bright, this world is not whole. And we're going for a whole world in case we didn't realize that Mm -hmm. it's a broken world at present. But each of us have to bring a a certain piece of repair um, to make it whole. There is a story I tell in the book that it's um, like an old tale about a Chinese lady who you may have heard it, who's balancing two pails on her on her shoulders. And, um, you know, the story, uh, one of. Mm-hmm. One ahead. of them, yeah. So um, one of them is a a full vessel, totally uncracked, and the other one has some type of a crack in it. And day after day, this pail leaks its water, and finally, it can take it no more. And it says to the woman, "I'm so cracked. I look at I'm constantly leaking out the water, dripping out the water. Of what use?" And the Chinese lady says. Look at, look over here. And she points to the flowers along the path. She said, your water that has, that has come through the cracks is the reason that this beauty adorns the path. So whole or cracked, and whole is anyway just probably a misperception. Nobody's whole. Um, uh, we grow whole. But cracked or whole, we all have a contribution to make that will come through us. Mm. Um, and we may not have wanted to be the cracked pal. Um, we don't get that choice. I did not choose my story. I only chose to tell it and to share it, which, mm-hmm. by the way, uh, being a private person, an introvert of sorts, was a very challenging decision. It still is. Because mm-hmm. what I knew what it would mean is that I'd have to stand behind it and, you know, reveal things about myself that I really didn't want to. And ultimately, it was just how do we sometimes arrive at decisions? What's just a little bit more uncomfortable and what was a little more uncomfortable was not to do it. And I did feel that this was a piece of my mattering ultimately that I was here to do. And that if I didn't, it would go undone and I 
Maybe the world would be fine, but I, Shifra Malka, would be unwhole. Shifra Malka is my guest. This is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we are talking about Dare to Matter. I want to touch upon what you just said because it actually tells uh, more from um, a, a personal perspective of mine, that story that you just told. My, my eldest sister passed on the 29th of March of this year, and I went back to Phoenix to, uh, to attend her, uh, her uh, memorial. Um, and <clears throat> my brother-in-law who is probably more of a brother than a brother-in-law. He's a very he's he's just the nicest, sweetest guy you'd ever want to meet. And they were married for 40 years. I I a matter of fact when they said that when he started talking about that I'm going 1980 that was before I was married the first time. I was only 20 and you now I'm 61 and you guys were married for wow, I where did the time go, you know, kind of thing. But he started talking about my sister. Uh and one of the things that really uh, I found out about was that in spite of all of the illnesses, the ailments, all of the things, the conditions that she had to deal with in her life. And my mother told me this. My other sisters told me this. Never was she ever bitter. She, she passed from a cancer that spread to her liver. And that was kind of like the final straw, I guess. But she was never bitter. Or if she was, and this is just me speculating, if she was, she never showed it to anybody. Uh, she had one of those laughs, which was a beautiful laugh. It wasn't one of those really irritating kinds of laughs like you see in TV shows, <laughs> kind of things or what have you. She had a wide open mouth. You could see both sets of teeth. That's how big her laughs were. And they were wonderful, and I can still hear them. And that was one of the things, as you talked about that story uh, that um, she she would be uh, uh, the the leaking uh, um, pitcher of water, if you will, or container, and that's what she did because she was always smiling. I remember my conversation with her at Christmas time. Uh, I was asked to come to Phoenix at Christmas, so I did because we thought it would be the last one. And I of course saw her there, and I'm thinking, oh no, we're going to have her here for a few more years. But anyway. Great conversation. Never talked about what she was going through. I didn't, how you doing, Jeanette? Oh, no, no. It, we talked about other stuff. And she smiled and she laughed and she had a great time. And she gave us this incredible gift of a beautiful Christmas memory the whole day. And so uh, that to me is that water leaking out and the flowers growing along the side of the road. And that sort of is what is sustaining me these days because I'm not sure. I'm, I, I maybe so I had one guest to tell me, well, Richard, you're still in shock. I mean, it hasn't even been a month, and, and it's almost been a month, and I'm still not sure what to make of it all uh, and so forth. So let me ask you, I mean, I can say without any doubt that my sister's life mattered, Okay. And that she was, I couldn't believe the number of people that were at the memorial and the number of people who were watching on Zoom because they actually broadcasted on Zoom. It was absolutely spectacular. Uh, and the mixture between laughter and tears during the memorial 
uh, you know, and the, what the people would say, because the people weren't sad. I mean, it's not that they were all happy and everything, but they weren't sad. They were actually glad that they knew her, that she was a part of their lives. And that, of course, she will, as the another one of those wonderful old stories tells you or sayings, nobody dies as long as they're remembered. Um, yeah, you know, this is a very fresh loss and, um, lost this time, you know, that to integrate and what's very, um, refreshing in a way and, and uplifting is that look at what you are saying about her even so early on. And it's going to, it's going to expand on itself. Mm -hmm. So if you're this now this is going to be incredibly mattering in the days weeks months and years to come clearly um she was able to bestow a gift on all of those around her who would continue to live um in her absence here on earth because she, you know she's eternal souls are eternal um and you will feel her presence i'm sure but what's nice is that you are feeling it so um beautifully now and we never really know how our lives are going to matter we know that they do but we don't really know until people tell us sometimes how something we did said didn't do um, influence them and sometimes we get to know it right away sometimes years later and sometimes we're never going to know Mm -hmm. um, I had an interesting incident a number of years ago where um, I had done some type of action and somebody from her car pulled down her window. She was in a parking lot and um, unbeknownst to me, she was watching what I was doing. And she pulled down her window and she took the moment to very generously tell me um how what she saw had influenced her positively. I've had people tell me things that I've done that have impacted them negative, negatively. So it's always nice to hear the positive. Hmm. Point being, I had no idea that there was somebody in a car sitting watching what I had done and that it would be meaningful to her, never mind to the person with whom I had done it. Mm -hmm. So um, your sister is, a, is an excellent example. I suspect that she knows the kind of influence she had on everyone around, particularly by withholding some of the pain and just exuding pleasure and um, exuding faith. Um, there's so much mattering in faith because what faith tells us is that no matter the circumstance, that's just the external shell of everything. Um, but there's something in, in the inner of it all that is so purposeful and and is going to be so full of blessing. Um, and she was able to evidently um, be that example of that. So you're blessed. That's what I say, even in the loss, there's a lot of blessing. Absolutely. And everybody who came in contact with her was blessed. And that came out in the memorial. We're talking with uh, we're talking with uh, Shifra Malka and we're talking about her work and the book Dare to Matter. And you can go to her website, which, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, is her name. Uh, it is Shifra Malka. And that's S.H. 
I-F-R-A-M-A-L-K-A dot com. We hope that you will, we will be linked to that website, too. I will tell you right now, uh, Shifra, we're, we will be linked to your website so people can go there, find out more about the work that you are doing. And uh, we hope that people will do just that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, I, I one of the things that I found so interesting was the beautiful conversations not just with the people at the memorial, but also my family, my, my three other sisters and my brother and my parents, my father. And, of course, my father did utter those typical words of parents. Parents aren't supposed to bury their children. And we didn't even respond to it. We heard him. We kind of nodded. But we understood how he and he's 90 and doing well all in all, as my mother's 87 and doing well as well. And um, I think that when you start to talk to people about your life, Shifra, or other people start to talk to you about their life or the life of someone who has been a significant influence, and what's interesting is they don't necessarily have to have been, oh, how can I say... It's like I was saying at the earlier on, thank you, teacher, for teaching me how not to behave. Okay, that person was a significant influence on my life. Not that I needed this person to tell me or show me that, because I already knew, because the way this person behaved, if I behaved like that in front of my mother, even at the age of 87, my cheeks would be very, very red right now if I spoke to her the way this other person did. Because she wouldn't put up with it. That's not the kind of woman she is, you know. You do not disrespect her. She's not mean, okay, but she doesn't put up and she didn't with us. And we got slapped a few times when we were kids when we would say stuff that was disrespectful. I think that's really where it comes from is where it's if it's disrespectful, no, no, no. And it wasn't so much because she's our parent. She's a human being who does not deserve to be spoken that way, spoken to that way. Um, let's talk a little bit about this whole aspect uh, of daring. Uh, let's talk about uh, daring to matter. Uh, why, why does one have to, so to sp- using this term, this def- let's define the word daring. What do you mean by dare to matter? Because it seems rather yeah. aggressive, rather, you know, forceful, you know. Um, or just uh, bold. And I think it does take a measure of boldness for humans, particularly those who have um, been assaulted by non-mattering messages and thoughts um, that have affected them deeply. Um, It takes a certain measure of boldness and courage to say, uh, no matter what people have told me, um, I'm going to... Um, think about it differently. I'm going to show up into my life. And remember, the subtitle is Lessons in Living a Large Life. The ultimate goal is for us to realize that our lives are large. Even if um, to the outside eye, they are not looking extraordinary, however we define extraordinary or important, however we define important or celebrated, uh, they can be large for us, that they feel the right size. How many of us 
go into a day and just feel that our lives are very small. They are not worth much. That's not a good position to be living life from. It's, um, it's very um, degrading. It's very hurtful to feel that our lives are smaller than who we can be. So daring to matter is about daring to be large, mm-hmm. daring to step into a space that maybe is larger than we thought was being given to us, but we know we can fill it. And we know we grow our capacity little by little. And that's how we become who we are. Um, we are I have this idea that we are not who we become. We become who we are. So, um, and we get, it unfolds in pieces. We don't get a vision of us at the end. We have a vision of us where we are now, where we're coming from, where we are, and maybe a few steps ahead. We have to keep growing into ourselves, keep growing into ourselves. Mm. And by the way, at the end of the book, here we ha- I have what's called matterings. These are the 200 objective lessons that I lifted out of the story around different themes that, um, are ideas about mattering, um, whether it's hope, whether it's pleasure, whether it's parenting. Um, there's a lot about parenting that I discuss in the book because as you just said about your own mother and her um, expectation that she be treated in a certain way because she's your mother, but more importantly, she's a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, children often... Um, don't get that. And when I, you know, you never finished parenting, but when my children were younger, I, I didn't use my hand. I didn't slap. Um, I I couldn't do that. Um, But I did take a lot of time to have them understand and think about um, because ultimately I wanted them to have an internal barometer, not external. Mm -hmm. Some side of them that would hold them to a certain high standard of um, of character. Mm. And yeah, so mattering and daring, if we don't dare, we are, I, I feel, I think, I look, <laughs> I see that we're not, I, a person is going going to be limited by the space they're going to feel they can step into and occupy. Mm. And I don't want people, I don't want to bequeath that legacy of feeling small, of thinking as oneself is small, because nobody is. We don't know the import of our actions. Yeah. We're talking with Shifra Malka, and uh, we're talking about her book, Dare to Matter. It makes me think of a, a game that is often played. Uh, truth or dare? Dare. I'll take the dare. All right, here's your dare. Dare to truth. matter. <laughs> this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, and we are talking with Shifra Malka. And uh, to me, that is um, one of the interesting things that actually came to mind as, as uh, you were sharing there. Um, we have lost in the United States, uh, and I'm just going to go based upon the information that I have. It may or may not be true. I don't know. I can only trust that it is over, uh, probably close to, if not over a million human beings, uh, 
due to during the what I have called the COVID era. Everything's temporary, ladies and gentlemen, including this. All right. It's not permanent. I mean, we don't have bubonic plagues spreading across the earth anymore. That was temporary, too. But the question I have for you is those million people, roughly, um, every time I would hear these numbers and people would just spew them out so effortlessly, I'm going, do you understand that you're talking about human beings? Did those million people matter? Um, Richard, I have to tell you something. Um, I'm not even debating in my own mind whether I should say it or not, because it feels that I should. So first of all, I just want to say that um, COVID, you know, had us in its divine orbit. This was something God made, God given. Um, no matter that it came out of some lab or it did or it didn't, it doesn't matter. And it left us not only with so many losses of life, but a division amongst those who are still here, which is very, very painful, by the way. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, but the, this is what I wanted to say. You know, I'm Jewish. So um, the Holocaust took six million Jewish lives. So numbers like that are numbers that are in my consciousness as staggering beyond understanding, painful at its core, and a question that I will stand in um, always. Um, that it has a purpose is undeniable. That is not the question. The question is why, why this way and why these people? And that is something I can't answer and neither can you and nobody else can because um, that's God given also. Even though it was a man-made Holocaust and the people who are responsible for it, for it are responsible. Um, it's a crime against humanity. But what I'm trying to say is that one life is staggering as a staggering loss. Your sister, you know, this is a loss that um, for the for people who knew her, um, I don't, you know, I, I think what it does for us who are, who are left behind to live our lives is um, it is a call to our deepest and highest selves to make it all matter, to not let the days slip by without succulently um, nourishing ourselves and others with everything we can bring to life. Some days are easier than others, we know that. Some periods are easier than others, we know that. But all in all, it is where our mindset has shifted. Has this shifted us? There are times in life that I knew I was being shifted. And how did I know that? And I actually write about this, 9-11, I was shifted. Mm -hmm. Something internally inside of me shifted. And I knew it because I found myself doing things that I wouldn't have done before. The example that I write in the book is that I had a manuscript I was working on at the time about prayer. And I literally, I said, I would never teach it. I'm not a teacher. I didn't want to teach anything. I picked it up and walked it into um, the office of the director of an adult education program. And I said, I'll teach it. I will give this workshop on prayer. I knew I was shifted. 
because I did something that fundamentally I would not have done otherwise. And while we're on the concept of prayer, I just want to read you one mattering. <laughs> Please. Prayer, honestly, prayer, um, I have an acronym for it, which I won't share now. Um, prayer to me is the way I keep my body and soul together. It is the way I can show up into life because I am connected to a higher um, force that I totally rely on to make my life matter. Um, this is prayer unearths our purpose. It is not meant to burden us, but an invitation to unburden ourselves. Mm. So in prayer, I find a way, I, I have a, an article I just wrote, it's called Praying It Forward. And the idea is um, there's a satellite service, you can pay $7.95, um, <laughs> heaven-bound heaven bound prayers. It's like, if you're paying that, you are overpaying and underpraying. <laughs> this is not about a satellite. No satellites carrying your stuff anywhere. It's your heart mm -hmm. that's going to carry and make that connection with God. Mm. You know, I um, I have to say to you that the people who are in your personal orbit are truly blessed for having you in their orbit. And I am one of those fortunate now to be in your orbit. Um, one of the things that you've said makes me think of this. If the lives of the people who died in the Holocaust or on 9-11 or other events matters, then why aren't we stopping the brutality, the insanity that's going on in Ukraine? It's like we're all just kind of sitting back. I have to say that when it first took started, the first thing that went through my mind was if I had the if I had the resources, I would be getting a plane to Moscow and I would be flying to Moscow, getting off of that plane. I would be walking straight into the Kremlin. Get the hell out of my way, you security people. I don't care who you are. I would grab that little nutball. That's what I call him now. A little nutball by the ear. I don't want the man killed. That is contrary to my personal beliefs. And I would grab him by the ear and say, look, pal, this is the 21st century. We do not play like this anymore. This is not, but nobody's doing anything. They're just letting I, it continue and happen. You know, and, and, and the Ukrainian leader is pleading with the world. Yeah. He's saying, you know, we may go down, I'll go down, but you're all next. So don't think that you're going to escape yeah. the plight that Ukraine is in now. I don't know the answer to your question. Yeah. I, I I think we are all asking um, it is 2022. The collective consciousness we've all we all thought we had um, evolved to a point worldwide that we would never see something like this. And if we did, we would stop it. Yeah. Who didn't think that? Who didn't count on the fact that we have learned in the rearview mirror? We've learned that we stop this insanity when it starts. So we are all feeling the same way, Richard. Like, where is the leadership? And all I can say is that um, we have to do our piece where we are. We can't get on a plane. We can't pick up a gun and go help in the Ukraine. Probably not. But then we have to pick up our arms in other ways, whether it is in prayer and asking God to please 
you know, help the entire world. Yeah. It is his world after all. Mm-hmm. And um, he has to, you know, we have to prevail upon him yeah. by showing him that we want it, that we recognize right from wrong. Um, or if, if there's some other way that we take up our arms and we stop something in our world that is a sampling of that insanity. Maybe we can't take on Putin, but we can take on Putin-like stuff mm-hmm. in ourselves and in others. Yeah. There's plenty of it. Yeah. So that's the only answer I can give you. It's not comfort enough. So we live with pain. Yeah. And, and of course, the other thing that does not help one bit is blaming s- someone or some group of people for creating this, this scenario. That, I, I mean, you could sit here, well, it's Putin's fault. Well, okay, maybe specifically and directly it might be. But that doesn't help the situation. Blaming, pointing the finger is not helping. Uh, name-calling, in our polarized world, name-calling isn't solving the problem. You know, if you're name-calling and you're pointing the finger at someone else and you're blaming them, you're part of the problem because you're not part of the solution. And And... I, I just, you know, I guess maybe I'll just, uh, you know, yeah, f- go yeah, ahead. You know, I, I, I want to say this. Um, in any um, situation, mm-hmm. I always ask myself, where's the right side of the, where's the right side of the fight? Mm-hmm. All of our um, passion and our commitment and whatever resources we do have we can get on the right side of the fight. And we all have our personal histories that we're going to have to answer for, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, We're going to have to say, where were you when this happened in the world? And as long as you are picking up the right side of it, you will know that your answer in good faith is, I upheld with conviction, with courage, and maybe even at a cost, I upheld the right side of the fight. Yeah. That is all that we can do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm and sure you, is, and it is a lot. It is a lot it because yeah. with enough people doing that, there's a force in the world that will build upon itself and keep going and keep going and keep mounting until it prevails until truth prevails. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny too. And it's a funny, odd, not funny. haha. Yeah. Shortly after the invasion, gas prices started to go up. I couldn't believe people in this country were complaining about the gas prices when other human beings across the globe were dying. I, I just, and, and now, granted, yes, people are dying every day. That is true. I, you know, I, what do you get? You know, I, I, I've gone to the the world population website and I've watched the population continue to grow. I see the death rate and I see the birth rate and and so forth. And I'm going, how significant were those people who died? You know, there's obviously somebody dying every minute of every day on this planet, some of natural causes and some not so much. And I often think about that in terms of lives that matter, as you have, sir, as we've talked about, uh, you know, Dare to Matter is the title of your book and everything. And I think, was their life significant? Are the people around them remembering and sharing their story? Or did this person just die alone in a corner somewhere and then they just found them and then put them in a hole in the ground uh, or what have you. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm too uh, – Some I've been accused of being overly idealistic, uh, naive, uh, and so forth. Well, 
it, look, it is a fact of human nature yeah. that until something creates pain for us personally, we're going to stand apart from it unless we are particularly idealistic, unless we have a way of, of, of fixing it. We don't want it to tamper with our comfort. I yeah. mean, that is a, a fact of human nature. Yeah. Um, how many people would be paying attention to the Ukrainian situation at all if it wasn't for the gas prices or whatever, right? Unless you have an ideological um, disturbance around it. Um, you know, so I'm not surprised that we can stay in the mundane, you know, pain of gas prices rising and not really resonate with the lace, with the loss of life that we're seeing. Um, or maybe we can do both. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the other thing too, is I think that it, it hopefully uh, in this process is kind of like we, like we talked earlier too. Um, we can find the blessings in the situations that we've, you know, gas prices. Well, people obviously are finding a way to pay for the gas uh, or they're finding a way to economize, et cetera, et cetera. Or uh, they're finding a way to understand that, oh, man, maybe that's not so important. Maybe I should, you know, think a little higher. And this takes me to another area that I'd love to talk about if we've got the time here. And that is this aspect of <clears throat> uh, going within, of listening to that still, small voice, of just being quiet when it comes to uh, daring to matter. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure this is connected, but this is what's coming to me. Mm-hmm. COVID, in a way, was the, the still small voice of God. It didn't make a sound. Mm-hmm. And yet, look what it was able to do in the world. And much havoc as it has wrought, I think it has brought some very significant blessings to humankind. I don't know what God's thoughts are in all of this, but I can only see where we as humanity are in all of it. And as much division as it did create, it also created a lot of camaraderie globally. We were all wearing masks. We were all, ta- you know, we were all on the same page for mm. some time. And that, I think, was a bridge that we saw. There's something that can bring humanity together. Um so the still, you're talking about that still small voice. And I think that um, it is up to each of us to hear that. That's God's voice. That still small voice is the voice that's inside of us. It's a very powerful voice. It is the voice of mattering. It is the voice of worth. And it is the voice of action. Meaning, if there's nothing we can do in a bigger way, then there are there are actions that are seem small, but they really do matter. And that in our lives, if we can embrace that, and when we embrace that, that no matter how small it all looks or how small it all feels, that's just an illusion. Because there's a largeness to every action that we cannot possibly know or calculate. Now, this might border on the spiritual metaphysicality of things. And in my book, I do talk about that, that underlying the realities that we see and that we think are so concrete, really, there's a spiritual reality, I call it, 
underlying everything from which all of that we see grows. So let's look at the underlying ground of it all. Yeah. When it all started on the around the 17th, St. Patrick's Day of all days, uh, if I'm recalling correctly, uh, which is an, which was a work anniversary for me. Um, one of the things that went through my mind was, first of all, we're doing something different. This is the first time that we have ever collectively said, we're going to do something different this time, which means that when we come out the other side, it's going to be a different outcome. It's going to be a different, uh, a different way of thinking, of doing, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I think about, of course, Einstein's comment about uh, insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Ain't going to happen. This time we did something different. But then the second thing that I thought of was, and this was sort of the blessing part, I wonder what kind of opportunities are going to open up during this period, however long or short it is, um, you know, that, that are going to open up for people. And it did. There were people who stepped in and started making what they call PPE and they started making masks and they doing this. And certain entrepreneurial efforts came along where people were actually able to make a few dollars here and there, not off of the pandemic, uh, but but at least to try to help people in, in some way. And the other thing that I found so amazing, uh, Shifra, was there was more than enough food. There was no shortage. The restaurants went out of their way for free to feed, many, many restaurants did, to feed so many people throughout this country. You know, and, it, I, and I thought, where was this? You know, <laughs> when I, I, I would agree, I would agree very, very wholeheartedly that it evoked on a personal level, it evoked a tremendous amount of heart yeah. in people. All of a sudden people were waving to their neighbors. They were realizing that, you know, human connection, introvert or extrovert. I'm an introvert, as I mentioned, but still there's something to a human connection yeah. and to giving forth to somebody else. And that I think really got catalyzed, which means that it was inside of, it's inside of us and it was evoked. It was brought out. I, I totally agree with that. Um, the kindness, the the kindness that we saw on behalf of so many people, which oh. tells us that we can continue to live that kind of kind life even without COVID. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> so, I yes, hope that I hope that the duration of the uh, this period has been significant enough to where this kindness attitude is maintained for for yeah, a long time you know, to come. So I have this idea, like when you really experience something in your bones. Mm -hmm then it becomes part of who you are. Yeah. Like you're saying, was two years enough of, you know, did it get into our bones as humanity? Mm -hmm. You know, so that now we're going to operate from a different level. And I think, I think, I'd like to think yes. I want to tell you something. My book came out in October of 2021, I guess it was. Um, and it was right at, in the pandemic. And so all the, the, um, the tours, is that right? 2020, then I guess it was. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Getting lost in time here. And um, right in the pandemic. And so all the the tours and all the, you know, was canceled, everything. And I had no way to really talk about my book. And so all of a sudden, they wrote this book that didn't matter at all. And um, so I found myself in a very ironic 
position. I wrote a book about mattering and here's a book that doesn't matter at all. So, um, you know, building out of that. So I, I, I now I'm doing podcasts and reaching out and taking it on in a whole different way. And guess what? I don't know if it matters or not. It's, and that doesn't matter because I'm still going to do the work and it will, it will find its way to those whom it's supposed to find mm-hmm, its way. Mm-hmm. That I totally believe. Yeah. We are talking with Shifra Malka here on uh, the program, talking about Dare to Matter. Shiframalka.com's the website, which we will be linked to as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we're talking with uh, a, a woman who uh, you have also or are, are also doing your own as you say, podcasts, but also you used to do or still do uh, your own radio broadcast, your own radio program. Is that correct? That is correct. Tell us um, about that. I, yeah, I loved it. I can tell you, I loved radio. Uh, it was a um, it was a, a program, a life program designed around social and educational initiatives. And um, I tell this story. This isn't really answering your question, but I, do t- I think it'll show you something about the medium of radio. It was the, I believe, the second program I was doing, and I had a sound engineer inside the studio, and um, he said to me, Shifra, we're having a problem with the um, recording that we, I, there was an interview that I had recorded be- to play for the first segment because it was with a woman in Israel. Israel is seven hours ahead of us. Um, and actually 10 hours ahead of you. And so we had to record it because my program aired at night. So she wasn't going to wake up in the middle of her, her night. So anyway, <laughs> we uh, it was pre-recorded. And so the sound engineer said, so anyway, um, it's not working and you're on in five seconds. I'm like, <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean it's not working? Uh, what, what do you mean? He's like, welcome to live radio. And there I am facing a mic and um, I have nothing to put on. And I remember those moments as some of the most connected moments that I had with my audience, Mm. who I could not see and they could not see me because it's radio. But all of a sudden I had to just talk from, I had to speak from a different piece of myself. Now I had notes, to be fair, I had notes in front of me, thank God. I had notes from the interview, so I was able to sort of talk about it. But it was vulnerable and in its vulnerability, it was real. Mm. Therefore, I was able to have a connection that I felt was, you know, um, was wholesome. Um, soon after, we, uh, we were able to recover it and play it and all was fine. But also in radio, you know something else, and that is that the clock is your master. It, that you watch that clock and it tells you what to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I learned that, you know, and um, that was radio. What I'm doing now that I'm really... Um, expanding around the mattering message is something called leadership that matters. And um, in that context, I've distilled five principles of mattering that underlie um, building teams. And I'm, I'm working on that now because I work a lot with teams to, in my daily job, to build around whatever message or mission they have and just working, bringing out the best and brightest in each individual. Mm -hmm. Because that's what Daring to Matter ultimately is, bringing out the best and brightest in each of us and um, believing that it's there, finding a way to access it, 
building capacity around it. So I am working on that, the five principles of mattering that govern, that, you know, that I feel, that I see, sense, experience, that they govern um, us as we work together in teams. Mm. Well, I will share briefly a story from my uh, experience of uh, not having my guest. I was doing a one-hour live show, and uh, we couldn't get a hold of the guest. And my mother and father and sister were listening. Sister Cecilia was were listening at the time. And, um, of course, we couldn't get the guests. No, obviously, we're letting the listeners know that, that we don't have a guest here. And apparently, this is it was repeated to me. They said, my sister said to my parents, what's he going to talk about for a whole hour? When the hour was done... My sister is reported to have said to my parents, I can't believe he talked for a whole hour. Um, I guess I am an extrovert, and uh-huh. I've always stated that uh, the universe asks the questions. I'm just along for the ride. And even then, uh, the universe provided me with uh, things to discuss and, uh, and talk about and uh, uh, made it through the hour, made it manage to fill the time. And I'm lost- not surprised to hear that story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am not. Uh, clearly, you have the gift of being able to um, share uh, your thoughts and have a meaningful conversation with people in a very easy way. And that is what had, it, this has been a delightful a comfortable conversation. So I understand. I'm not surprised. Well, I tell you what, I love doing it. I mean, this is the other aspect of it is that uh, I have gone sometimes two weeks uh, without scheduling an interview. And I get, I, I feel like something's missing in my life. And it's these conversations where we're trying to, you know, we're, the the big picture is, I want to change the world for the better for everyone. Now, not everybody's better is the same. But right now, the way things are, uh, a lot of people don't have a better life because all they're doing is surviving. And I'm hoping that through the work that you're doing, especially with the work that you're doing through Dare to Matter, uh, that we're giving people, as we say, choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true so that they can move on from survival to thrival, uh, which I did find out is in the dictionary. I thought I'd created it one day, and then I thought, you know, you better check the dictionary. Nope, that's okay. Webster's got it. I'm uh, happy I love with that. that word. Thrival. I did word. not know it existed formally in a yeah, dictionary. It does indeed. Thrival. My God, folks, you word. are learning grammar and uh, uh, and and uh, vocabulary here on this program today, but it's it, but, that I, but is, I want to, but you know, but Richard, go some ahead, please. Don't, some people don't even; they're not even at the point where they can dream. Yeah, that is so sad. I know that you oh. would say it's sad. So we want to we want to just sort of reignite what I call a learned hopefulness, because I spend a lot of my time and certainly in the past in a in a, a hopelessness forget about helplessness but yeah. a hopelessness mm-hmm. and and there oh, there's only one way out of that and that's to learn hopefulness which is connected to faith etc but um if we can learn hopefulness we can show up we can begin to even think about what it is what is our dream yeah. and how and how to how to discover it and uncover it recover it mm. uh, 
As uh, one of my favorite uh, poets and uh, musicians, John Denver, would say, uh, people are afraid to dream when dreams don't cost a cent. And we want you to dream, folks. We really do. However, I understand if you've been through a life that has sort of shut down that part of your world, I hope these programs will help you to dream. I have uh, dreams. I One of mine is to live for the rest of my life in Ireland until I'm 100 plus. I've been to Ireland twice uh, in the early 2000s, uh, and I love the people. I love the country, uh, the cooler weather especially, and there's just a, a feeling of belonging there. That's one of my dreams, and I know that you too, Shifra, have your dreams, and one of them obviously is to, to uh, get the word out about uh, how to dare to matter. Uh, and live that life that is just huge, that is expansive, that is... Uh, I, I remember having a conversation with a good friend of mine. His name was Charlie Patton, and he told me that he was related to uh, the general, George. Uh, I, whether it's true or not, I don't know. I, I didn't disbelieve him, and I still don't. But we sat one day talking about our role in the future. And I said, you know, I don't know. I don't know what my role is going to be. I don't know if it's going to be small, like I'll work in a factory or a place and this and that, and then live out my days doing that kind of thing, or if it'll be big and what. He's, oh, I know mine is going to be a big, it's going to be huge, and, and I'm going to make, you know, uh, and you'll hear about it, you know. And, of course, I haven't heard about him <laughs> unless he changed his name or something. But we used to speculate about that. We used to think about that. And I never at that time, never thought about broadcasting uh, and, and, and doing things of this nature. What about you? Did you ever think that you'd be where you are today when you were growing up? Or was that something that was part of your, your uh, uh, DNA that, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do when, uh, be when I grow up? I love the question. I want to say, first of all, about John Denver's uh, thing. Um, dreams do, they don't cost us money, but they do cost us they could cost us a lot of courage and a lot of mm. conviction. Mm -hmm. and a lot, they, they do have a cost. And like you said, if somebody's been, you know, um, rejected or, you know, there's going to be, a, you know, how many times can I show up into the same dream? How many times can I hold on to a belief that is eluding me? It's very painful. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and so yeah, to answer your question, I... Um, it was very amorphous for me. My professional pathway was not clear at all. Nobody was telling me, oh, you must do this. You're so talented at that. Nothing like that. And so it took, it, it, it does, it did and it does. And will always take a tremendous amount of inner fortitude and resilience to say, it doesn't matter. I don't care what people say, think, do, see, don't see. Um, when I wrote this book and I, I, I have it in my um and my acknowledgments, which, by the way, were really fun to write. Um, I write about a, a distant relative who said to me, you're writing a memoir? What's so important about your life that you would write a memoir? She could not have lit a hotter fire <laughs> underneath me. I was like, boom, this book is happening, mm -hmm. you know? So you use it as fuel. Yeah. 
put you down, you, you use it as fuel. You don't let it stop you. That's yeah. what makes you go. Yeah. Was, was there anything in your childhood that resembles what you are doing now? The reason I ask is because uh, when I was a kid growing up, my dad, one of his early occupations was an appliance repairman in uh, Coolidge, Arizona, where he grew up. And he had, uh, we had a turntable, portable little turntable, and I don't know where he got the reel-to-reel. And um, I used to, I'm not even thinking about it, I used to play radio. In I put them on the bed, and, 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 and I would play, and I'd play the reel-to-reel to record, and then I would play the turntable and this and that and the other thing, and... And uh, didn't even think about it as I was going through grade school or even high school where they actually had a lunchtime DJ, one of the students, who would do their thing. And I didn't even think about doing that. It wasn't until I was 19 and uh, I was uh, given the opportunity. So how about you? Is there anything from your childhood that does resemble what you're doing now? I grew up with very pragmatic um purpose-driven parents. And I was a dreamer and imaginative and creative and always in a very fearful state because imaginative people do live in, in fear of state sometimes. The what ifs. Um, and it was a very lonely space. Um, in my 182nd book trailer, I, it starts out, you know, there are people who show up to their lives knowing exactly what they're going to do and exactly what's going to written on their, be written on their tombstone. They know. I'm not one of those people. So to answer your question, as a child, I did always want to do something that felt like an accomplishment. And I continue to pine for what I can say is accomplishment. However, I define that and I define it, you know, it's unfolding. It's not one answer, Richard. Mm -hmm. You know, accomplishment is on different arenas. I'm, I'm, I play a lot of different roles um, with a lot of different people. You know, I, I often don't go to bed before two o'clock in the morning because I have many files and folders to go through and, and, and calls to answer and email, like maybe a lot of us. Mm -hmm. um, if I had to distill it into one phrase, and I'm not sure that I ever did. So I want, would want to take a moment. Um, certainly um, somebody who uplifts humanity. I don't know what, how, maybe it is through my work here. I don't know. But that is the word uplift is very, very important to me. Mm. To create hope in people, in a world. Because a hopeful world is a very, very different world than a, than a world in which we all feel powerless and that there's nothing we can do about anything. Yeah. I don't want to live in that world. And that's not the world I'm going to create for myself Same or here. for the people around me. Yeah. I, I am not going to live in victimhood. And right. if, if I ever have, it's always been extremely short-lived. And that was probably in my late teens, early 20s. Uh, but... It's like, I'm responsible. I, uh, someone said here recently to me, Richard, you wrote the script, and if you don't like the script, you can always rewrite it, okay? 
Uh, so I'm, I'm with you there. We're talking with uh, Shifra Malka, and uh, we are talking about Dare to Matter. ShifraMalka.com is the website here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, and we are here with Shifra Malka. And uh, I have three final questions that I want to ask you that I ask all of my guests. But first, I want to thank you for giving us so much time uh, and uh, sharing with us about the work that you're doing, the book Dare to Matter. And uh, we hope that folks will go to your website website, uh, Shifra Malka, to find out more, shiframalka.com. Uh, but thank you so much for uh, for sharing with us today. Pleasure and a privilege, truly. Thank you. I mean, before By I the do way, ask the, you... Can, the, the site you could also go to is daretomatter.org. That will take you over to oh. the Shifra Malka. Excellent. Well, then maybe we will link to that one, daretomatter.org, um, and, uh, and, and do it that way. Either way, you're going to find information, folks, that will, uh, will help you and support you. Before I ask you those three questions, I need to let you, the listener and the viewer, know that you are listening and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices. To help make your, make your dreams come true, we're here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., 9 a.m. on Wednesdays, Special edition of Tell Me Your Story on Wednesday. And uh, we are streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com with podcasts at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music, many other locations as well. We hope that you will subscribe and also go to the YouTube channel, Tell Me Your Story, where you can watch these interviews. And as I said, we will be linked to our guest's website. If you can support us financially, we would greatly appreciate that. All you have to do is go to PayPal. It's there for your security as well as ours. And then I also implore you to spend some time going within during this, the decade of perfect vision. With that, we go to uh, our three final questions. And the first of those three is, who is Shifra Malka? Shifra Malka is a woman who matters, who dared to matter. Who dares to matter? What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? It is very painful for me to see people not, not be who they can be fully. Very, very painful. Very painful to see people held back when I know that inside there's so much waiting to happen. I want to be a catalyst and facilitator to make that happen for people, to grow their capacity to and to help them to step into who they are. And finally, what is your life's purpose? You know, we talked about this. I don't know for sure that I can say one purpose. Um, I know there is one. I don't know that any of us, in my foreword in the book, I, I say, um, I don't know that any of us really can know ever fully. And sometimes, though, I do know this. We can walk past our highest purpose for being here and not even realize it. Mm. We can just zip it by because it just didn't catch our attention. Um, it is things like pain and COVID and Ukraine war, right? Those are the things that make us stop and realize, wait a minute, we may have walked right past everything at the places we can make the biggest difference. Mm -hmm. um, so to answer your question, um, my highest purpose is to show up 
every day opt in to a life that matters. Um, be easy times, there'll be harder times. There'll be times that I'm totally defeated and feel very depleted um, emotionally, spiritually, in every which way and feel that I have nothing to give. Showing up anyway. Well, Shifra, I want to thank you again for joining us here on the program. It's really been a pleasure to get to know you and share your story and the book, Dare to Matter. Folks, get a copy, and you can also go to daretomatter.org to find out more about the book and order it as well. And uh, with that, we thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And until our next broadcast, podcast videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I'm listening. Still waiting for the world to tell you that you matter? If you were born knowing your purpose, even the words to be etched on your tombstone, you may not relate to what I'm about to say. But many of you will understand because the messages bombard us incessantly. If you don't have this or do that, you'll get what you deserve, nothing, and that you are nothing. I come from a long line of Jewish thinkers who could also tell a story or two. What I learned from them more than anything is that our lives matter and that we can't buy or borrow our mattering from anyone else, but we can create it. Dare to Matter tells the story of the collapsed inner space I call non-mattering and the choices I made to opt in and rebuild it. Being compared to my personality disordered Aunt Rosalie meant this. I would not much matter. The discounting script of non-mattering reads like this. Don't be who you are. And worse, who do you think you are? This not mattering kept me in its clutch for years, leaving me wounded by the perceived smallness of my being. With a too big body and a too small spirit, I was well poised to opt out of life. Hard to get out of bed if you don't matter. When I took up skating, people said, you can't do that, you're too fat. And so I thought only thin people could skate that heavier people might fall and die. Even when I wrote this book, I heard, what's so important about your life that you'd write a book about it? Only celebrated people are entitled to do that. I laced up my skates knowing I'd fall. I wrote the book without any guarantee it would ever be read. Waiting for the world's permission is an emotional idol I smash every day. And by changing the questions we ask ourselves, we will live by a different set of answers. What if our choices have at least as much power over our destiny as our circumstances? What vision do you have for yourself beneath all the superficialities? And why should someone else's version of you own your destiny? When we matter, we learn to dare the false messaging down. Because until your light shines bright, this world is not whole.